So one of the phrases that's used in in this particular chant we've been doing and is a kind of guide for practices to others as to myself. It's holistic, isn't it? It's all including everything. Yeah. And it's, uh, this is the way we should train to others as to myself. Now, there's quite a lot of confusion around others and myself. So they're really just kind of senses of how we how we experience things. Actually, you know, we we can think we know others, or what's good for others, or others are. So once the mind adopts that, you go into a tyrant program. You're either benevolent dictator, which means you can do something. Somebody else is this way, and you're going to help her sort her out, do something for her welfare, make her be other than she is, you know, cure her, redeem her, sanctify her, purify her, sort her out, straighten her out. So well, this is a benevolent dictator. Because actually, you, don't, you know, you're still working with what you think or assume another person is. And then, of course, you can do this, try and do the same thing on yourself, sort yourself out, stop being so silly, tidy up, get more disciplined, more restrained, and so on. Do all those good things you should do, make another resolution. So this is the benevolent dictator working at home, <laughs> thinks he knows who you are, what you should be. <laughs> So, as soon as that's happened, we've lost empathy. We've moved out of that empathy into action, decisive action. Decided something, believed an opinion, believed a view, acted upon it. So, this is the benevolent tyrant. And of course you get the malevolent tyrant, which is the, the judge, the executioner. <laughs> I don't think we need to go into that one. But you probably also acknowledge that one. Mm. Uh, judge, <laughs> executioner, <laughs> tyrant, <laughs> who writes people off, writes you off, <laughs> you know, condemns, and so forth. Mm. Based upon what? Perceptions, impressions, which are partial, and you make mind makes what's a partial impression. You know, I saw that. I saw her do that. I've seen her do that six times today. Therefore, that's who she is. And that's what she, you know, and that's wrong. It should be another way. Now, these perceptions are never totally untrue, but of course, you know, any any discerning person is going to recognize that's only a partial you're looking through a window a porthole a keyhole you don't know really 
There's a lot you don't know. In fact, what you don't know is much bigger than what you do. Mm. Now, the benevolent dictator, you know, is based upon that inclination we have, perhaps, to find other people's welfare, to you know, help people find what's good for themselves. But you have to recognize also you can't do that directly. You have to encourage, or you can encourage a person to find their own answers. You can't give them the answer. You encourage a person to find their own answer. You encourage a person to investigate. You encourage a person to take care. To encourage a person to care for themselves. Encourage a person to be more attentive. Do you encourage a person to, you know, be more fully present with themselves? The beauty of Buddha's understanding, the Dhamma understanding, is that we all have innate wisdom, clarity, but we need to access it don't need to access somebody else's wisdom. It's not going to work. But you need to be encouraged to find your own place where you're open, attentive, not in a hurry, not reacting, not assuming you should be something. Well, all those activations and programs are not running, or running less. The less the better. We'll take, we take refuge in the unconstructed, the unconditioned, the open. Hmm. And, you know, perfectionism, how open can you be? Well, I don't know. You know, I think I get pretty open, then I find a few years later there's a bit more I have to open up to. <laughs> but it's getting better. It seems to me there's a little more that one can include and be present with without reacting to. A little more one, I can be present with my emotions and feelings and instincts and energies and reactions without closing down and getting guilty about them and fussing over it, praising it, blaming it. A little more I can be open to before that kind of stuff starts happening. Denial, shame. Mm. fascination before I start activating activating and going in decisive action so decisive action is when you something you clicks this is it, this is who I am, this is what I've got to do this is where I am, this is what she is, this is how it is that kind of when something really starts moving mm. karma, action once that's happened okay then you have to bear with that as a result of that, and that's how we learn. Mm. Witnessing, yeah, I acted upon that, followed that through, where did it take, where did it end up? Like this, okay? Sometimes it can end up seemingly good, seemingly, you know, done something skillful, helpful, but a lot of times just taken on the same old track, of uh, got to do something else now, change something else, sorted that out, now the next thing, 
But what all karma does is it creates self. It's good or bad, it creates me being in charge of it, me controlling it, me got to do, me winning, me losing. And you stay in the same old tennis match, you know, still bashing the balls back as they come over the net, still reacting. Still trying to, you know, iron out the waves of the sea. So, you know, we take, so we take the unconditioned, the recognition of the unconditioned, or the unconditioning or deconditioning, not, not looking at some kind of final state, but noticing when we can not get so reactive, moving in that direction, open, feeling out what feels from this place, what feels steadying, Mm, beautiful, warming. So if we're going to act, it comes from there rather than from an idea. And we begin to acknowledge in understanding others, we understand ourselves, in understanding ourselves, we understand others. You know, in some ways this could be seen as, well, we're all the same, but it doesn't really mean that. What I mean is that perceptions and senses of myself arise in the mind, cause reactions, and senses and perceptions of other people arise in the mind and cause reactions. <laughs> you know, we look around and we get feeling of whatever happens when we see other people, as we were doing this morning, uh-huh. We just stay in open presence. We're not trying to learn, you know, make anything happen, feel anything in particular, just maintaining open presence, acknowledging there are these shapes and forms that I sense as other people. That's what I can know, and all my stuff that starts happening with that. I feel a little bit nervy or anxious, or start to define people attracted to people, feel threatened by, all that happens, doesn't it? Is there something wrong with that? (laughs) And then this one, what do you think? Turn towards this one, become conscious of what we experience ourselves as, what happens? Memories, Judgments, views, opinions, scenarios, photographs, should be, was, having a good time, feel I've finished things, need to get on with that. Various other phenomena arise, we remain open to that. This is a nice place to to use as a basis. So you want to come to that basis this is meditation, or one way of meditating is just to come to that basis. Yeah. Now meditation is not, you know, the answer to everything, but it's a good place to really understand and see what what gets created and how how useful any of it is.
and seeing if there can be less compulsion around the, those creations, less kind of in there, get it, go for it, and more space around that. This is the med- meditation, is this open. Now, you know, you can encourage and inflect your awareness just to go into itself, into pure awareness. Just being aware, focus on the quality of awareness itself, right? Now this is rather like you're looking through a window and you can notice the sky, you can notice the window frame, you can notice the smudges and marks on the window. Possibly you might just notice the window and not get Look at that smudge, you want to clear that smudge. Look at the sky, I wonder what it's going to do today. Hmm? It's going to rain. It could be that, could be possible one could just see the window. That's a deconstruction, isn't it? That's a lessening of data. And that's, well, it's more stable, it's more peaceful, it's always true, whatever you do to the window, you clean it, paint on it, Whatever the sky is doing, the window is still windowing. <laughs> yeah. So this is just an analogy for, we might say, awareness. Right? And it takes a bit of doing to just tune into those awareness itself, but primarily it's through a sense of not getting fussed by, not getting intrigued by either the, the, the stains or the marks on the glass or you know, the, uh, what, what's the other, the view outside, we think, so, so I've seen it, so what, aha, uh-huh, aha, uh-huh. it's like that. Now what's this quality of seeing? And you can inflect your mind that way, you can inflect your attention that way. And that's, yeah, that's peaceful, that's, that's calming, that's the ceasing, relinquishing of activities. Hmm. Now you can also, and it's also useful to recognize as something kind of, I might say, more relative. Like, you know, the window, we can see things. There are definitely, there are apparent things out there (laughs) through that window. There are phenomena, apparently, however relative they are. There are phenomena. And this is the kind of world I'm going to be living in moving around in, of people and things, and time and place, and, you know, decisions to be made and so on. Now, is it possible, bearing in mind that quality of openness, to also acknowledge, how do I, how do those particular impressions and perceptions and data and thoughts, how do they come in? What are the ones that really strike me? When I look out of a window, do I see the sky or do I see the, the stain on the glass? Which bothers me? Which attracts me? And so we start to learn something about how, with what kind of inclinations, unconscious inclinations, we shape our world. Or these active activations, sankharas, shape our world. Are we looking for perfection? 
that's going to shape our world into a constant fault finding. If you seek perfection, what you'll find is faults, that's for sure. <laughs> it's good to remember that. Looking for the perfect place to practice, all you'll find is lots of places where you can't practice. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So these are the, the kind of, because these defective programs of seeking for ultimates and perfections and fixed truths and rights and wrongs and, you know, things we should and shouldn't be and do, because they're so compulsive and compelling, I call them tyrannies or the tyrant, and they're attractive, they attract because it makes things nice and clear, and we get activated. So we might, but when we begin to more fully recognize whatever is seen and perceived is only so, so much truth, so as much as I want to, as much as I'm affected by it, it's very relative, then we can come into a more sane response, which is, this quality of empathy, coming from empathy, our activities are more properly endowed with let's move gently, let's move kindly, let's move compassionately, let's move with, with appreciation, let's move, you know. So these then remain the guiding principles of what's called right intent, right attitude of where we're coming from. So rather than coming from a tyrant program which forces and compels and writes things in black and white and says, you are this and I am that, and I'm never this and you're always that, we come from the qualities of uh, kindness and compassion, appreciation, and evenness, serenity. Serenity is that which allows. Just let it be as it is. Let it be as it is. It's in process. Let it be as it is. And I don't know which, you know, you, which one you do because it's, you, that has to happen from, as you feel something, then you wait for that. Well, how's it, what's the response going to be? So you're meeting someone. And you don't quite know what the response has to be. You shouldn't know what the response is. <laughs> You're not supposed to know. You're supposed to sense and feel and then uh, what's helpful. What's helpful and what's helpful here for me, if you like, and what's helpful, what do you imagine is helpful for them? Because you don't know but you can know for a start what's helpful here is something like calming goodwill. And then maybe from there, sense of experiencing something that seems stressful, painful, then the mind moves towards compassion. And these are, these are almost like instinctive movements. Things seem stuck, things seem repeated, things seem stuck. Perhaps we, the movement goes more towards equanimity. Right? 
Okay? Don't keep fiddling with it. Don't keep trying to push it. Change it. Perhaps what's needed here is equanimity. It's serenity, whereby we're not adding more to it. And that can let it flow. Hmm? In knowing others, knowing the sense of others as they, as we're affected, knowing the sense of ourself as we're affected, the response is of this nature. The tyrant is telep- think, believes in telepathy. I know exactly what you're about. I know what's wrong with you, I know what you need. It also has clairvoyance. This is the way it's going to be. <laughs> Telepathy, clairvoyance, these are, they're great tyrants, they've really got it all sorted out. Uh, very convincing. And that's how come we get so tyrannized and uh, cause problems for each other. So coming into your own experience now, how many people live in you? How many people move through you in a day? How many people are moving around in there? Got a partner, he or she's probably in there moving around, having a few things to say. You're talking to her or him. You've got a child, yeah, he or she's in there. You're worrying about them, talking about them. Hmm? Got parents, alive or dead. Yeah, you've got a boss. Mm-hmm. He's in there. She's in there. <laughs> so, <laughs> all these people moving around within us. Yeah. These are ghosts. These are ghosts, more ghosts. Ghosts haunt us. And you can spend a day talking to ghosts, chatting to ghosts. And there are also ghosts, some ghosts you call yourself. They walk around in there too, and you tell them off. Tell them to go away, tell them to pull themselves together, tell them they shouldn't have done that. And as you react, the whole thing gets a little more charged, a little more potent, and those ghosts get a bit stronger. They come around for another dose. (laughs) Is that how it is? Somebody's telling me recently, he says every time he walks past the window, he imagines someone's looking at him, um, making judgments of him. You walk down a street and you imagine everybody's judging you. It's sometimes not even verb, it's just that sense of being on guard. You're walking down the street and you get a feeling, that feeling of 
you know, am I okay? What other people think of me? Like everybody is really busy thinking about you. <laughs> yeah. So tyrants are also good at drama. They dramatize. Hmm? So if you make a mistake, you're a total idiot. Yeah, not you know. If you drop something, you're a complete fool. <laughs> they dramatize. If you forget somebody, you're going senile. Clearly, you're, me- you're mentally disturbed. You've forgotten somebody's name. Hmm. So tyrants are good at dramatizing everything, and everybody's looking at me. Everybody's making comments and judgments about me. Tyrants are great center stage actors. They put us on center stage, star of some horrible movie. <laughs> and other people are thinking about me. Yeah. Very, very common. Mm. And also we, we kind of enlist other people in that. Now, I, I star in quite a few movies. I've done lots of movies. I've started a lot of a few movies because I'm the person who makes you feel guilty. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that to Ajahn Sajito. Oh dear. I shouldn't have got in the way of Ajahn Sajito. I should have remembered to say that to him. I should never have said that to him. You can imagine how busy I am judging, complaining, making notes on everybody else. A list of sins I've got written up. <laughs> so I'm busy there all day remembering everybody else's faults and weaknesses, the things they should have done better. <laughs> it's, it's busy work, you know. <laughs> so I star in quite a few movies. Sometimes I didn't even realize I was in them. Most of them I didn't when I was in, but somebody says, oh, you know, when I did that in 1982, and you go, (laughs) did you see the way he looked at me then? You could tell he was thinking about me. (laughs) So I've got to look somewhere, haven't I? (laughs) And then I have my own... um, cast of actors. Most of my actors are arahants and Buddhas and they generally disapprove of me. I sit behind. So I do something and say, that wasn't correct. <laughs> Monks shouldn't do that kind of thing. That was a bit sloppy, wasn't it? Now you're being uptight, aren't you? Mm. Going on, you're always rabbiting on and on and on. You think so much of yourself, keep talking all the time. (laughs) Hmm? How much did you sleep last night? Hmm? So, you know, wow, what a busy life, what a drama we live.
I remember once time telling, telling my crew who'd gathered round me, I think I was sitting on a beach enjoying the sunshine, they told me very clearly a line of them came round and said this is one the sort of thing monks should be doing. And I said, look, look, I'm really sorry to disappoint you guys. I've just got to work with this right now, okay? <laughs> you just have to wait. I know I'm not very good, but you just have to let me ruin my life. <laughs> and I went, oh. Oh, he doesn't believe in us anymore. <laughs> Do you have any of those? <laughs> Do you do it? Do you have any of those? <laughs> I remember a woman telling me she was kind of her father was dying. Of course, dying is a pretty messy process and how many times you get to rehearse other people dying. <laughs> you know, it's not tidy, it's not clear, you don't know what you're doing, you do fumble along. And her father was dying, and you no, know, she did the best she could, what she's doing all she could. Naturally, you know, she has to sleep and do stuff like that. And somehow she felt she hadn't really, she'd missed on something, I'd forgotten to give him a pill, or forgotten to phone a doctor, or forgotten something or the other. I didn't do something right. So then her father passed away, she'd left with this feeling of, oh, you know, I didn't do right. You know, I didn't, didn't get it right. You know. And then she was sitting with that and just reflecting on her father and then just stopped the actions, stopped the activities. And then she heard her father say, didn't expect you to be perfect. You did the best you could. You know? She met a human being. She met a human being instead of a ghost. Because that's what human beings do. They say, yeah, you know, it's, uh, we've got some space around that. Don't expect you to be a perfect, a star, wonderful, you know. She met a human being. And when you meet a human being, the ghosts disappear. The human being could be your, apparently yourself, what you're doing. Could be another person. Could be someone who's passed away. You meet them actually as a human being. And then there isn't any judgment. Because you can't really define human being in that clear, judgmental way. <clears throat> Can you meet yourself as a human being? Open to, you know, feelings of irritation, uh, sadness, Uncertainty, happiness, desire, interest. Hmm? 
That's what human beings feel. Guarantee it. The point of recognition of that, something else comes up which is empathic and loving. It's uh, bright, it's open, it's humorous, it's, it can embrace, it can include, it can open up to all of it. As that doesn't mean we act upon it or react to it, we just open to that and let it do its own thing. And the beauty of it is that from touching into the open, into that which is not conditioned or less conditioned, things find their own way. You know, the ghost starts to die out, disappear. The fantasies start to, you know, evaporate. And you get a sense of, this feels about right. It's a bit like the sense of balance, you know, standing up and feeling balance. How do you define that? Is it through getting really rigid? No, that's not going to do it. Is it through just relaxing completely? That's not quite it either. It's a sense of tuning in. And balance is just where there's no pressure. No push forward. No push back. No holding on. That's, you know, and then what's right can come from there. What's true comes from there. This is what right, right intent arises from that, from that place of open awareness. Hmm? Being humans, having nerve endings, feeling things, being programmed towards pleasure, away from pain, in various forms, we experience irritation. We experience irritation not just phys- physically, just through psychologically. You say, that was, I didn't like that what you did. It didn't pleasant, didn't enjoy it, didn't like it, irritated. Now, how possible is it to be not be irritated by anybody ever? Not likely, is it? <laughs> is that a problem? Now, when there's open awareness, the irritation is just that was just a moment of a of an experience. Uh huh and that can be allowed to dissolve. Now if we can't tolerate irritation, what happens is we get malicious. We get spiteful. We freeze into, you're always doing that. You did that. You, know? <laughs> you really piss me off. You know? <laughs> that turns into malice because it's not been allowed to we don't receive the irritation. Uh-huh. No, let it dissolve into that. Then it freezes into malice. As human beings, we 
experience sadness. Things go the way we didn't like. Separation from the loved, separation from what we felt fond of, separation from what was dear. We feel sadness. Can that be something we can open up to and receive? If you don't, what do you have instead? You get depression. It's stuck. It's always this way. Life is gloomy. We haven't received sadness let it pass through us. So therefore, it freezes. See, a feeling can't unfeel. <laughs> you can't have a feeling and say, oh, go away. It has to enter and pass. So once a feeling's there, you can't say, don't be there, even though that's kind of what happens. Don't feel that way. You can't do that. And you can't tell that to everybody else, don't feel like that, because that's already happened. <laughs> And the don't do it freezes it into, it's kind of not allowed, so it freezes. And you get depression, and you get malice, hatred, and we also reckon a bit of a moral sense. We are actually tuned to, to conscience and concern. And that could be very beautiful if we listen to it more closely. But, yeah, we do go deaf. Therefore, we do things wrong. Regret. Talking about earlier about assessment. Yeah, that, that was regrettable. Why was it regrettable? Because this was the result of it. Now I've learned something. Regret has taught me something. Hmm? Thank you. Now, if we don't allow that regret and really understand where we lost our moral compass, how it came about and how to, you know, listen up more clearly to that. That's the learning. Just listen up more clearly. You get guilt. It freezes into guilt. There's something innately wrong with me. I am a bad person. So those are the choices. Some of them anyway. When an experience like a feeling or a perception or a mood is locked as a person, as me or as you, then it freezes and you've got problems. Because that person then starts to be a lump inside you. There'll be a lump of regret with your dad's name on it (laughs) moving around inside you. It won't go away. And the more you push it away, it doesn't do that. So we have to feel, yeah, that was not good. That was not beautiful. Is that true? And then the Buddha's remedy is you acknowledge a particular action of carelessness. Okay, I've learned something. And then you bring up the mind of goodwill 
to, to all concerned, yourself and the other person. This is, you could call it in Buddhist terms, this is redemption. So this is the way we clean our house from all these people living inside us. Some of them ourselves, some of our, ourselves when we were young or when we were children or when we were adolescent. They can be rattling around in there. Or people we did in the past, people we damaged or feel we damaged in the past. You name it. Or complete fantasy people like the people we, the superiors hovering above our head as telling us how we should be. And how we've never lived up to them. So, this is the way you clear them, you acknowledge the fear, the uncertainties, you know, the sense of shame or guilt. And you start to come back very simply to your own here and now presence, stabilizing, deconditioning. Empathy, as I said, it is a simple quality that's right there. You don't have to generate it. It's natural. When we come into our own presence, embodied presence in the here and the now, here and now, and you're willing to feel. You're open to feeling. That's it. You know, it's, you're not going to do anything. That's, that comes afterwards. The fundamental sense is you find your own presence, you're willing to feel. If there's nothing to feel, that's fine. But you, you're willing to that, you're open to that. And you can abide present with what's felt, sensed, imagined, yourself, others, the past, the future, without going into compulsive actions or reactions. And that's empathy, and that's the way you unseat the tyrant, tyrant programs. That's the way I do it anyway. <laughs>